Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, and I am Jared Malott, and I'm sitting here with my good friend, Stephen Reed. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well today. Glad to be here for take two. Yeah, right. So that everyone knows, typically Afternoon Pancakes releases on Tuesday sometime after we've recorded it. However, yesterday we had a little technical difficulty towards the end of the podcast, so we thought, hell, let's wait for some more Colts and Titans news to come out, and then we can even put out a better podcast tomorrow. I'm totally kidding. We just decided to reshoot because we owe you better. So... To start out with, uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today, so that if you need to skip ahead, you can. First, we're going to talk about last week. We'll talk about the Colts game. We'll talk about the Titans game, because that's our opponent this week. We'll take a look around the AFC South, and then we'll look ahead at our opponent this week uh, in the Titans. So, that being said, Stephen Reed, after you saw the Colts' week one game, What sticks out in your head as some of the positives and negatives that you take away from what you saw? Well, I think that one of the big positives I take I took from this week is I'm very uh, confident in the direction of this team moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because the defense played played well for the most part. Uh, yeah, they gave up some touchdowns and points um, and that they were pretty good in the red zone you know they, they need to work on their tackling um but one of the things the big takeaways i saw from this past week is that the colts have a legitimate pass rush from the front four mm-hmm. um and i know in years in last year they needed to manufacture the pass rush from different positions in terms of having a corner blitz or a safety blitz or darius leonard blitz or something along those lines if you watch this past week's game and uh, jared and i we we both have for a couple times now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see that the front four is getting that pressure. Like, Kamoko Ture is going to be a beast opposite Justin Houston. Justin Houston is a beast, and we, we've yeah. all known it. Ben Banigou has showed some promise, and Al-Kadim Muhammad was able to get consistent pressure. So you've got four solid pass rushers coming off of off the end, at not even to mention Danico Autry there in the middle. And for whatever reason, it's still kind of a question as to why Taekwon Lewis was was a healthy scratch uh, this past week. But I'm sure we'll get some more answers from Frank Reich today as to why that was. Um, it seemed to surprise Matt Eberflus uh, as well when, in his press conference yesterday. Um, but, yeah, I think that the, the defense is, is better than expected. And I think the offense is going to be a pretty consistent um, – I, I don't think the offense changed from when – 
Andrew Luck was back there to Jacoby Brissett. It's the same offense that we saw at the end of last season uh, when the Colts went on that run is they went with some short passes. They established the run. They worked more on trying to just impose their will, uh, which is, is kind of what you want. It's kind of the, this is, it's, I find this interesting because this is the new England Patriots circa 2000 to 2013 way of doing things as composed as compared to, you know, the Colts way of doing things during that time where it was, I'm going to just outscore you. And I find it really interesting because you've got the Colts that are kind of flipping around and doing that, you know, we're going to control the ball. We're not going to make any silly mistakes. We're going to play, play good defense. We're going to stop you in the red zone. And then, you know, you're going to make the other team beat you because they're going to have to sit there and try to score points. And I think that you're, you're going up against a New England team that's going to be more of that, we're going to try to score points. And you obviously Kansas City has got to try to score points because their defense is, is terrible. Okay. So let me ask you this. I'm going to read you this line from last year. Okay. And I want you to tell me who you think this is what week. Okay. All right. 39 for 53 for 319 yards, two touchdowns and an interception and a loss. 39 for 50. That uh, I feel like that's got to be luck last year in like week four, week three. That was week, week one. Week that one. Oh, week against one. the Bengals. That was the loss against the Bengals. I Andrew Luck threw the football 53 freaking times. Oh, I knew. I knew like during the, the when they lost last year, Andrew Luck threw the ball a ton because they yeah. had to either play catch up or because the running game just wasn't established. And it, right, the good thing, the thing that, that's interesting to point out on that is that at that point in the season, Marlon Mack wasn't in there. You didn't have Anthony Costanzo either. Right. So one of the thing, one of the reasons I brought that up, and I know that I, I, I up front will admit I, I stand for Jacoby Brissett. I stood for Jacoby Brissett the millisecond I found out Andrew Luck was retiring. I was like, oh, the Colts are so lucky. Jacoby Brissett has been in the system for two years. He's taken all the 11 on 11 uh, snaps this offseason, which is equivalent to a year's worth of football. So he really does have two years of growth in the system. And I'll just go go come out and say this. I would rather have Jacoby Brissett go 21 for 27 for 190 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, get sacked twice, than throw the ball 53 times, complete 39 of those, by the way, for 300 yards. So the reason I brought that up, most football games you ever watch in your whole adult life the people that throw the ball more are losing. For example, the Colts' week two opponent, the Tennessee Titans, beat the Cleveland Browns. And look how many times Baker Mayfield threw that football. The the thing that the Colts have decided to do is... For those that wonder, Baker Mayfield threw the football 38 times. Yes, he still threw the ball a, a lot of times. Marcus Mariota threw the ball 24 times. Right. Now, he was only 14 for 24, which doesn't bode a lot of confidence, but he did yeah. 
just he like did sixty percent right around there. He he did he did enough, right, uh, for them to win. Uh, it also bears pointing this out. Um, last year there was a graphic that came up during a football game where it showed Andrew Luck's record based on the number of attempts that he made in a game, and the cutoff was 30. In games that Andrew Luck started in the NFL, where he threw more than 30 passes, the Colts' record was 9-14. and 14. I love Andrew Luck. You love Andrew Luck. We all acknowledge his greatness. But the more you rely on him, the less likely it is that you're winning that football game. The data showed in games where Andrew Luck threw the ball less than 30 times, he was something like 9-1. and one. Meaning, the less you put the ball in his hands, and the more even the distribution, the ball between passing and running the football, right? The more the higher likelihood you have of winning the game. And then that brings me to my second point, which is... Steven, did you see the graphic about the completion percentage and effectiveness of play action in week one across uh, the league? I did not, so you're going to have to fill me in on it. So there were five quarterbacks chosen, and I can remember Lamar Jackson, uh, Drew Brees, there were Tom Brady. There were five quarterbacks they chose, and Jacoby Brissett wasn't one of them. That's not why I brought it up. It's correlative. There were five qualifying quarterbacks in the NFL that threw something along the lines of like five or more play action passes. The completion percentage on play action passes in week one, 2019, across the NFL was over 71%. The touchdown to interception ratio on play action passes was something like 11 and zero. So what I'm getting at is the Colts are following the data that I just explained to our listeners. Hey guys, I get it. We look at teams like Kansas City and we say, man, that's a tough offense to stop because they get to throw the football 100 times a game. They're going to lose games when they play against teams like the Chargers that are able to control the football, maintain possession and score touchdowns and be effective in the red zone. The Colts similarly are structuring their football team exactly how you would want to build a football team. And I get it. It harkens back to those early 2000s Patriots teams. You got to follow the dynasty, right? They had world-class defense. Not above average. Not good. Great defense. And, well, they, and Tom Brady has never won a Super Bowl without a top 10 defense. Right. So he doesn't win. Unless he has a full team. It's that simple. Yeah, and, and Frank Reich came in here the fir- the day he was hired and said no team can win built around a single player. So in the absence of Andrew Luck, I applaud Jacoby Brissett for stepping in and not just not just playing well, but I would argue that this offense – in week one, 2019, with Jacoby Brissett at the helm, is already more developed than than Andrew Luck offense was week one, 2018. Because they didn't have Anthony Costanza, they didn't have Marlon Mack, so they didn't establish the run. They had to throw the ball a bunch. So let's talk about injuries because they are a factor. We can acknowledge how great that pass rush was, but... 
think about this for me for a second. How much different would that football game have been if Jabal Sheard and Lewis were both playing? Because then the pressure from the middle is also outstanding. And we can look at the data that shows us the Colts had four sacks and nine quarterback hits. But remember, they had a forced fumble uh, called back and a sack called back. So technically, that's 11 hits and six sacks. Which would have led the NFL in pressure. And that, again, we did not generate pressure from other means. We did it with our front four, which is... If you listen to NFL analysts, you know, I can stand about every one of them, but Chris Collinsworth. Um, But if you listen to them, they say the same thing. The best way to play defense is to be able to man cover and get pressure with your front four, especially in third down, especially in the red zone. The way you win football games, it starts up front, which I feel like the Colts have addressed admirably, uh, gave up a couple sacks but they gave up sacks to Melvin, Melvin Ingram and to boat and to Bosa. Like these yeah, are two elite say, pass rushers in the NFL. These aren't your run of the mill. And it's just like, you'd pointed out, we're not going to see that quality of pass rush. Right. Well, and, and this is what we, I, I talked about yesterday when we first recorded this is that the Colts in this, this game, you're probably not going to see a better defensive front four again for the rest of the season until you get to the playoffs. Uh, for the the Colts because the Los Angeles Chargers their defensive line starting off with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram at the defensive end position and then Brandon Mabane and in Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery there up front the no, defensive tackle no tackle position and then you know Damian Squat, Square in there as well he's a pretty good gap eater there at the nose nose tackle position you're not going to see a lot of other teams that have that kind of depth and talent up front. And the only ones that I could even, you know, remotely say is, is potentially Jacksonville within Gakwe, um, you know, and that's even a stretch because I don't think they've got the talent there on the inside. Um, I know that a couple of years ago they spent uh, a first round pick on a defensive tackle that has seemingly flopped. Um, and then the uh, the other, only other team that got a, a similar pass versus maybe maybe Denver because you've got Bradley Chubb and Von Miller who are, are great pass rushers. But uh, I have something for you. They did not they did not generate the, a sack. They didn't they didn't generate a hit. I don't think. Yeah, they had a really time. bad really bad week one for the Bronco front four. But it's hard uh-huh. to, it's hard to keep your legs under you when the oh. offense on the Joe Flacco led offense is unable to even get a first down. Um, yeah. I watched that game. For the record, uh, I don't know who listens to this, uh, but hey, NFL, I would rather have a doubleheader on Monday night than Thursday night football. Oh, so much. I'm just saying. You could do away with Thursday night football, stop giving professional athletes four days of rest before you make them go out there and go through war again. Um, But Seriously, though. It's true. They get less recovery. The games are awful. Yeah. Give NBC the first or the second time slot in that Monday night. And, like, let's be real. Monday night programming on any network is right bad. now is, you know, there's not any, like, you, you've got to watch kind of stuff. And I think those people on at NBC would rat, much rather go and put the – I think it is NBC that owns Thursday night, right? Yeah. Whatever, whatever station. I think whatever it's station NFL has, Network on Thursday, right? Some, well, sometimes it's NFL Network. Sometimes it's on yeah, Fox. It depends, sometimes, it uh, yeah. 
But yeah, whoever owns it on Thursday night, have it move to Monday and, and run it with two Monday night games. It's so much better, even though it goes a little bit later. Um, so like you, you, you're going to have to have one of the Monday night games be on the West Coast, which I think might be the big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise you're playing, you know, one game at like six o'clock and the other game at nine and you're still getting over at, at midnight. Yeah. And so, you know, you, maybe they don't want to start it that early because they want it to be in the primetime spot, but still it's, I, I would much rather have, have two Monday night games than, than the Thursday night, but I understand it from the NFL's perspective, trying to maximize revenue. Um, but yeah, anyway, all that being aside, I don't think the Colts offensive line is going to face nearly the challenge that they're going to face that they faced this past weekend. And so that gives me a lot of hope for the future, given that they only gave up five quarterback hits, I, I think, and, and two sacks. Um, and so I, you've got a lot of positives going for the Colts leading into this game. And quite honestly, the Colts should have won this game in regulation. Like, I know yeah. everybody sits there and talks about the the Vinatieri misses. It happens. All those kicks that Vinatieri made were right online, and then all of a sudden, like with no wind, they just went off. Like if you look at the the goalposts and each of those each of those kicks, the 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 flags are limp yeah. on the goalposts. There's no wind, and yeah. all of a sudden, like two kicks are going straight down the middle, and then just get pushed out, and you're like. How did that happen? There's, uh, you know what I heard? Uh, Pat McAfee. I listened to his podcast the next day, and they yeah. brought up they brought up Adam Vinatieri, and he said, uh, Adam Vinatieri has been in the NFL so long, and been so good at his job, that we never realized that his weakness was baseball fields. So. If anybody ever wonders, but that's a soccer stadium there. Yeah, or a soccer it? stadium. He said a soccer pitch. Sorry. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, he said. Because I bet the ball moves like between the like the ends the end zones in a soccer stadium likely don't have any airflow through it, but I bet that middle portion there has quite a bit. Yeah. And so, so you don't see it. That would make a lot of sense because like it got to the same point mm-hmm. on each kick, and they're just going straight, and all of a sudden. They just it hook, is, it, and you're it like, just Whoa. pushes it, or it hooks, and you're like, how did it do that? Like, it was dead on, and then it just pushed out. And here's but what that I, actually here's makes what a lot of out. sense. Here's what I figured out. Soccer cleats, if I remember correctly, aren't they flat on the bottom, and football cleats are spikes? No, so, soccer cleats have spikes, too. Oh. Um, so but, that was what anyway, I was trying to think, was like, how did it affect usually the use turf? Soccer. turf. So, kickers usually use a soccer cleat. Um, yeah. when they, when they kick now, the interesting part, now that you bring that up about soccer stadiums, if you look at the, the overview of that soccer stadium that, that you see, I think there are two gaps on, like, you've got that main concourse that goes from like 20 to 20 mm-hmm. and you've got an awning over top of it. But then I think there are gaps on each side before it gets to the round. Cause I've gone to soccer scenes like down in uh, Kansas city. I've gone to to that same saw the U.S. men's national team play there years ago with my brother, oh, man, and awesome. um, yeah, it was really really fun little trip. It was like a there and back the same night though from Indianapolis, which was a little bit tough, but that's okay. It was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's a soccer stadiums and soccer pitches are are made differently because you don't deal with the ball being in the air at that point. 
because like if you think about it the ball's not going to be up high in the air at the 20 yard line or that like at the the 10 yard line uh on, on like a football field and so that actually makes a whole lot of sense um as to why each of those kicks looked like they were going straight and then and then veered off but it, it's just yeah anyway the Colts should have won this game in regulation not out of any Terry kicks aside uh, and I had talked about this when it happened during the game and now after the game and then yesterday when we first recorded this podcast I vented about the Danico Autry penalty on the um can or on, uh, the Chargers first touchdown where I said look the rule is you can't line up over the center but they didn't call that. They called unnecessary roughness, making contact with a defenseless player. Uh, and the rules analyst on the on the broadcast, which is just like a, a pro NFL, I'm going to agree with what are the officials called, like rubber stamp, said, oh, yeah, because the, the long snapper didn't put his head up, he's considered defenseless. Right. And I said, well, that's a bunch of malarkey that there's – no way that you can say that he's defenseless after he snapped the ball. Otherwise, you're going to have teams like the Patriots or things like that. Just tell your long snapper, keep your head down. And if you get touched, flop. Flop like the Houston kicker flopped um, on Monday night when the guy just landed on his foot. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Like, the guy literally just landed on his kick foot. And it was, like, on the toe. And the Houston mm-hmm. kicker twirled himself around and threw his hands up in the air and landed on his back. And I was like, really? Yeah, they're getting really, they're you getting flopping cues from James you Harden, didn't right? You barely got touched and you're flying. Now, don't get me wrong, probably still a penalty, but like, you're like, all right, come on, man. Like, let's be real here. But you've got Danico Autry on that, that penalty gave San Diego or gave Los Angeles four points. Yeah. Um, and that's the ball game right there. And yeah. then later on in the second quarter with like six minutes left on, on the Keenan Allen touchdown pass, I said this during the game, took screenshots of my, my television during a game saying Justin Jackson, the, the Chargers running back, held, wrapped up and tackled Kamoko Ture on yeah. that pass. And the referee, the back judge, um, who is at that point in the game has moved back behind the line of scrimmage and is off to the side to watch the, the play develop and the lead, the head official both are staring right at that spot and no calls. And I'm like, and Justin Jackson popped up and looked around like, you going to call that? Right. Hey, you going to call that? All right, we're good. <laughs> and, and so, and if not for that tackle, Ture sacks Phillip Rivers and ends that drive. But instead, they score a touchdown because I think it was like third and 13 or something because they Colts had just gotten a sack before that, if I, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's just, there's 11 points right there that the Chargers shouldn't have gotten. Yep. That's based what I wrote on, down. Based on the officials. Yep. I, uh, and, and wait, no, that's not even that's not even taken. That's not even the 11 points. If you recall the uh, the Justin Houston um, offsides call in yep. where they uh, then the two plays later, they threw a 55 yard dump pass to Eckler, who scored a yep. touchdown. Yeah. And Justin Houston 
said, he's like, hey, look, the center moved the ball, and I'm looking at it, and I go off of that. Yeah. And so, like, and you watch, you see the center do a little shimmy with it, yep. moving it up a little bit. Houston goes, and then later in the game, the Chargers do the exact same, like, the timing of it is spot on the exact same thing in no call. And then you saw it later on in uh, on the Monday night game with New Orleans and Houston, where you had the New Orleans defensive end it is near the end of the game, and he just beats Laramie Tunsil out. And it wasn't even Laramie Tunsil's fault. The guy got a great jump, and Deshaun Watson drifted back 11, 12 yards into the pocket and took the sack. Yeah. And like I guess you do blame Laramie Tunsil to a point, but when you get a guy gets a jump like that and your quarterback doesn't step up into his perfectly clean pocket for that play, like one of the few times Deshaun Watson had a clean pocket to step up into, and he doesn't do it. Like I look at that and I go, why are the officials calling it? That's literally 18 points that the Colts lost because of either qu- questionable officiating, bad officiating. And the crazy thing with the Danico uh, Autry one is the NFL came out the next day or they came out yesterday after the Colts submitted the play and said, hey, th- can you explain this to me? And they said, yep, we were wrong. It wasn't a penalty. And yet the Colts don't get anything for it. Oh, well, think about this. Think about this, though. So we're talking about I, I took notes. I've Like we said, we both watched this game. I watched it live. I've seen it twice on Game Pass. The notes I had were Colts should have won this football game. Right. That was the big thing I came with. Well, we should have won that game. We didn't. We got treated to um, away team disadvantage or for the Chargers home field advantage. The notes I had were. The Autry penalty resulted in a touchdown, just like you said. And then the the offsides on Houston uh, resulted in a touchdown. That's that's 11 points. Adam Vinatieri had a day like I've never seen before in my life for him, and I've been feel like I've been watching that guy my entire life. And then on top of that, the touchdown pass to um. Eric Ebron was a touchdown in Indy. If we're if we're at home, we win that football game because well, that, that, that touchdown that to Ebron, Ebron gets called a touchdown at home and gets reviewed. That Ebron for, one still confuses me because like if you watch the replay of it, he lands like and he, the the Broncos are like oh he got a foot down. And then when his elbow hit, the ball started to move, and then he never got another body part down. And I'm right. like. No, what happened was his foot went down, his elbow went down, the ball started to move, but he still had it pinned against his body. So he never lost possession, which is what is the rule is you can't lose possession of the ball. And his back was on the ground, which counts for two feet at that time. And then he rolled over and got up with the ball still in his hand. And I'm like, if if they call the sad part was whether they called it a touchdown or an incomplete pass on the field. It was being upheld regardless. Yeah. And that's that's the that's the crap part about it is because if you've got it to where, you know, he's called a touchdown on the field, I don't think they overturn it. But right. because they called it an incomplete pass on the field, I said it on Twitter when it happened. I said, look, he maintained possession of it through the through the call, but I don't think that this will get overturned because of what the call was on the field. Right. 
And, of course, if we're going to give out a game ball, we've got to give it to Marlon Mack. 25 carries, 174 yards, and a touch with a long of 63. Um, And, of course, T.Y. Hilton, eight catches, 87 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Was really happy to see uh, Jacoby complete passes in his first game uh, this season to eight different players. Uh, Similarly, Phillip Rivers did the same thing, but he's been in the league again forever. So you have that expectation that he knows to spread the ball around. So now that we've kind of talked about the Colts week one game, um, of course, you know, Colts lose a game that we we believe they could have and should have won. I think they would have won that game if it was uh, a home game. Let's take a look around uh, the AFC South and talk about, uh, well, Let's let's leave our, our week two opponent for last, but let's kind of go in reverse order. Uh, we watched. Did you watch the Houston New Orleans game? You said. Um, yep. Kind of feel yeah, the same the way. Half of that. Kind of feel the same way about Houston uh, that I've felt about the NFL forever. You can have an athletic quarterback that has high escapability and is able to make all the throws, but he's going to take a lot of hits. And I would like to think of all of the franchises in the NFL, Houston knows what it's like to lose their number one quarterback to injury because he's getting his butt whooped, David Carr, and would have learned that lesson. Now, they did go out and spend some some money and, and get themselves a little better offensive lineman, and, but he's, you know, Deshaun Watson got hit a lot. He got sacked a lot. Um, and ultimately, I'm afraid that J.J. Watt is the ultimate loser here because he's an all-world defensive player, and that defense did everything right. They just gave the ball back to Drew Brees with too much time left. Um, and I kind of made that joke in our like, chat. What's mind-blowing for that? Yeah, what's mind-blowing for that is, according to ESPN, there's never been a game on Monday Night Football that has had two lead changes in the last minute of the game. Like, who's to say that, like, Houston got the ball back with 50 seconds left, down six. At that point, you're like, and I think they had, like, one timeout left. Maybe one or two timeouts left. And you go through and you're like, there's no way that they're going to score a touchdown. And then 12 seconds later, they've scored a touchdown. You're like, holy moly. Yep. That's crazy. And then you look and you're like, that's 38 seconds. So that's a lot of time for Drew Brees with one timeout to get him into field goal range indoors with a kicker that has hit a 57 yarder before. And so you're like, did, did, did uh, Houston just give Drew Brees too much time with 38 seconds left, which is kind of mind numbing, like how good Drew Brees is. And that's the. The, the crazy thing about that, I think we talked about that yesterday, too, uh, on the we had to drive late. Um, oh, we had that touchdown drive. We gave the ball back to in the, uh, Philip Rivers. In the first half. Oh, yeah, we yeah. got when we scored the field goal to end the half, we got the ball back with 38 seconds left. Um, and then no, at the end of the game, you're right. It, it, it was, was at the, the end, end of the game. game. We gave we gave you're the right, ball back right. to Rivers. With 38, 
tie ball game, 38 seconds left. And that's, you know, a that's timeout, the difference in a I game. Think. That's the difference I think in a game. Two timeouts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Houston plays really good uh, defense uh, on the road in New Orleans, week one, gets beat. Um, and then let's talk about Jacksonville, of course. You know, we. We're sorry, of course, to hear about Nick Foles. Um, they, you know, Jaguars. That's a, such a terrible situation, too. They bet a lot of money on that man coming down there and kind of turning that franchise around. Um, and like, as a fan, you hate to see another team's top player get hurt, and that's the way that their season goes. Yeah. Like that. Like, and I, I say this as as a true fan of, of football in the AFC South and. This division is so much better when everybody's healthy. Like, <laughs> right. That that's our biggest concern. Like when we talked about Deshaun Watson, is the number of hits he took. He took something like eighteen hits or something like that. Oh yeah, it was absurd. It, it, it was it was bad enough that I had to get up and leave the room because I was just I don't like watching uh, replays of injuries, and I just had this this feeling. Um, I think it was it when he landed on his back. When he, when he rushed into the end zone, oh, yeah, 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 and he got, and he got they, slammed on his back. I was just like, he's a hit away from literally getting knocked out. And I don't mean like, oh, he's gonna hurt his knee and and get no, like knocked unconscious. He is when he, he's uh, almost oblivious. When he gets hit, it's like he didn't he didn't see it coming, and that scares me, right? Before, I I, uh, I prefer uh, my quarterback for that last drive. drive. Yeah, before they went in for the last drive, you actually saw the close-up of Watson on the sideline, and you saw the trainer getting in there on his lower back. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's the sad thing is, like, Houston right now, because they don't have a general manager that has – because their general manager is a head coach, yeah, he's not looking for the long-term success of the franchise. So he traded – like, uh, one of the guys over at the Draft Network said this out, is Larry Tunzel is a great player and, and played great on Monday night against, uh, against New Orleans. Cause they, yeah, New Orleans has some good rushers, Oh yeah, but that's a great you also, he also isn't worth two first round picks. Right. And so Houston just like handed, but like, how does Miami turn that down? Like you have to take that money when you get, you know, two first round picks for a guy that was looking going to be looking for a huge contract. And you're, I mean, pretty clearly after watching, you know, the Baltimore Miami game and tidbits of that they're tanking and, yeah. and that's not even, not even close to, to that. I don't know if they'll win a game this year. Yeah. Um, for the record, Miami, how about that for a GM God. destination ne- next year? Right. But they Miami's GM, they've got, so they've got a lot of talent though. Like, they, they, well, they're gonna, not, not a lot of talent. They've got a lot of draft capital. That's what I'm talking um, about. They have so much draft capital. If you're mm-hmm. if you're good at roster building and roster management, like that's a really desirable job. Um, I yeah. think it says a lot about uh, the AFC South and how the rest of these teams are being run. Why we are so fortunate and why we've sat atop the AFC South for so long is because obviously when a guy like Andrew Luck leaves – and you'd already started to address the issue, it does kind of put a stamp on, hey, that's why we drafted Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Anthony Costanzo, Braden Smith. That's why we got Golinski. We got to have 
the ability to protect the quarterback. And then let's talk about the absolute biggest dumpster fire of a football game uh, I watched all of last week was the Tennessee-Cleveland game. For those that just check box scores and say, oh, Tennessee put a whooping on Cleveland. They only did that in the box score. That was a 15-13 game with two minutes and 10 seconds left in the third quarter. The long and short of it is uh, the Browns imploded, which, for the record, Stephen, you kind of called. You you and I, on a prior podcast, you'd said, I'd wonder how all those personalities mesh. I said it on Twitter, too, and got yeah. just absolutely lambasted by Browns fans saying, oh, you don't respect us, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no. The, the issue is you've got a lot of explosive personalities and you've got a head coach that if I remember the tweet at the time, it was some of the lines of saying that um, it was citing a pro football network um, or uh, pro football talk or pro football, whatever. One of the one of the NBC related ones. But they said that uh, Freddie Kitchens had said before that he didn't want his players to back down going into the second day of practice with the Colts. And after the, the practice in which the first day of practice, there was like one one little scuffle, not anything big. Second day of practice, there were like six or seven big, big fights. And after that practice, Freddie Kitchens got up to the podium and everybody said that he looked pleased and said, I'm glad my message resonated with with my team to not back down. And so I had sent out a tweet that said, look, it basically says that he was kind of promoting them to go ahead and get in some fights if they wanted to. Right. Um, and I said, when you've got those kinds of explosive personalities and a head coach that doesn't isn't a calming factor for them and mm-hmm. isn't that level-headed guy that comes in, then you're going to have undisciplined plays and your head coach and that culture is what's going to sink that ship. And, and of course, some people didn't get the joke that it was Freddie Kitchens and then I'm sinking. And right. so anyway, um, but yeah, it, it took like four hours for somebody to finally get that joke, which isn't super surprising but still that's pretty much twitter Um, that's par for twitter though um um, especially cleveland twitter and uh, well i won't go there i know some pretty smart cleveland fans so i'm just i I won't do that (laughs) um but that's exactly what happened in this game is they lost they were undisciplined they got 18 penalties like that's the mind-blowing part of it is cleveland had 18 penalties in this game for 186 yards and when you get that many penalties for that many yards, like they had more penalty yards than Marlon Mack, who is currently leading the league in rushing, had in rushing. They had 186 penalty yards or right around there. And Marlon Mack had 174, 176 rushing yards. And so you've got an undisciplined team who had your left tackle thrown out of the game, ejected for kicking a dude in the head. And and you're sitting there questioning, like, oh, I don't know what happened. But the crazy thing is, and, and Jared, you brought this up before we even started the podcast, is that up until, like, three minutes, with a little bit more than three minutes left, or 15 seconds left, or a little bit more than a minute left in the third quarter, this was a two-point game. Right. Right. So, by all accounts, for the record, I get it. Box score says 43-13. But I don't look at the box score. 
the Browns beat themselves. Like you said, 18 penalties, 182 yards to the Titans, six penalties for far less yardage. And I misspoke. I said Cameron Wake. I meant Cam Jordan for the Saints. Cam Wake plays for the Titans, and that's who will play this week. The reason that the scoreboard only kind of matters, right? Everybody says it's only wins and losses matters. It's the NFL, not in non-division games. Think with your head, not with your eyes. So the reality of that game is that if the Titans are going to win the division, they have to win a lot of their games in similar fashions, which is basically they're not good enough to do anything other than hope the other team completely implodes. Uh, I maintain my thought process regarding the Tennessee Titans that as long as you're trotting out Marcus Mariota, you aren't beating the Colts, you aren't winning your division, and I'm kind of backed up by the math, even in a 30-point victory, 30 points, they won by 30 points, Marcus Mariota was 14 for 24. I could go 14 for 24 in a flag football game, but I'm just saying like 14 for 24 is not spectacular. Uh, The reality is that if I remember correctly, there were a 75 yard pass unlikely to happen to end the third. And there was an interception. one One play. Pat short yard pass to Derrick Henry for 75 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, and that was the, you're right. That was the, the end of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you go down and actually break down what happened in the fourth quarter is uh, Baker Mayfield got the ball with 13 left with the right before the fourth quarter threw an interception and uh, that got returned uh, to return for 28 yards to the Cleveland 35. So Mariota had started at the Cleveland 35, scored a touchdown um, on, a, a, on a short pass to Lane Walker. The next drive, Cleveland had three plays, interception that got intercepted um, on what third down, got intercepted at the Cleveland 34. So the Tennessee got. Their, ne- their two scoring plays after their, their long touchdown at the end of the third quarter was from the Cleveland 35-yard line and the Cleveland 34-yard line. And then their next touchdown, so that, that made it, that's 14 points, that put it up to 36-13. to 13. And then their last touchdown was Cleveland trying to push the ball down the field. A pass got intercepted and returned for a touchdown. So Tennessee had two short fields where they didn't have to drive at all and scored and had an interception return for touchdown for 21 points. You take in that that field goal or that that touchdown at the end of the third, that was a 75-yard huge chunk play. Yep. So Tennessee prior to that had if you, if you look at the way that they broke down, they had seven plays field goal, a 58-yard field goal, three plays punt, 11 plays touchdown. That was a good drive for them in the, to start the second quarter. Then seven plays punt, three plays punt, four plays punt, five plays field goal because they got the ball on a short field. And it was a 53-yard field goal. So, no, they had – no, I take that back. They had a big chunk play to start that. 
where it was a 51 yard pass play at, at the beginning of that drive where they scored that second field goal. The next play or the next series, three plays, punt. So you can't sit here and tell me that they have sustained, sustained success on their drives. The other plays were the four plays for the touchdown when they started at Cleveland 35. Four plays for a touchdown started at Cleveland 34. Four plays for a punt. And like, I wanted to I wanted to point this out. So I don't I don't typically like I feel like we're going in awful hard on our week two opponent, but I feel like it's fair. They're a division rival. This is the way the world works. But let me give you this these numbers and you tell me how you feel about that player. If you take out Derrick Henry, which is highly unlikely to be repeated, so let me be the person that tells you the odds of a player Derrick Henry's size of taking a pass 75 yards to the house is nil. Usually it's a guy like Deion Lewis, right, who barely touched the field. So if you take away Derrick Henry's 75-yard pass play from Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota was 13 for 23 for 173 yards and two touchdowns. I would have fired him and I would have got myself another quarterback if he hadn't completed that pass. Because in a game where your opponent is imploding, right? Baker Mayfield threw three interceptions in the second half of that football game. You still only managed... 13 for 23 for 173 yards. And I get it. Cleveland's supposed to be all world, right? I get it. But I just find it kind of amusing that most of the the Titans fans I know, anytime they get a win and the Colts lose, automatically they're like, oh, this is the year. I just want to be the person that tells you this isn't the year. For the Titans, I don't think. I think if it's not the Colts, it's the Texans. And I still think the Texans are are very beatable. So when we go into week two and we play in Nashville, this is a game I'm supposed to be at. The Colts uh, are a three-point uh, underdog on the road. You get three points to host. Uh, so that means that they expect this to be a close game. Like a pick, pick on 50-50 game, basically. Yeah, so games that games like this typically start out as pick 'em, and then the home team gets three points. Uh, but here's the way I look at it: I think that the NFL is all about roster management. It's all about if player A goes down, who's coming in to back them up, and how serviceable are they at their job. The Tennessee Titans are missing the most important member of their offensive line. I believe he's a captain. Although probably not after violating a substance abuse policy, but Taylor Lewan, good buddies with our good buddy, Quentin Nelson, right? Uh, isn't going to be playing. And with the Colts generating the kind of pass rush that they have this year, right? Which without penalties was 11 hits and six sacks against Philip Rivers. I just, I don't see... Um, the Colts giving up the kind of chunk plays this week that they did in week one. Uh, and I guess we need to go back. And one of the th- observations I had about week one was that the Chargers are a well-coached football team 
because unlike teams did last year, the linemen and and I get it, there were plays where they were holding us and all of those things. That's part of football. The linemen for the Chargers were getting to the second level and getting a hat on Walker and Leonard and inhibiting them from making those those shutdown tackles where you're like, well, that's what happens when you get hit by a guy that big. Uh, and for the large part, I thought Anthony Walker played really well. He, st- he stands guys up, and I love that about linebackers. When you don't take make a tackle falling down, you make it pushing them backwards. That's that's football. Um, and I just I think that because of a lack of preseason uh, play, it takes a little time to get back into the speed of the game because the game is very fast and. Again, I'm encouraged by what I saw week one. It felt like that football game yesterday felt like week five or six last year. When we started to get the ball rolling. And then the important thing to remember, obviously, is that the home teams usually get the calls. So I think the onus on the Colts this year is to put a little more fire put out put up uh, uh, some more points um i would love to see a repeat of the dallas game from last year where we were just that was probably one of the better colts games i'd watched in a long time both sides of the football all three phases um and i get it that's a pipe dream it's week two that doesn't happen all the time but i think the colts have manageable problems like losing devin funchess Last year would have been uh, completely dismantling because we didn't have any depth behind, you know, so obviously I'm I'm putting us in another dimension, brother. But if we had Devin Funches last year and Devin Funches got hurt last year, it would have been a bigger negative last year than it is this year. And that's not saying that we won't miss him and that we don't wish him a speedy recovery. Of course we do. And we want him back before the season ends and healthy and ready to play, right? But the reality is the Colts have gone after depth at wide receivers, so losing Devin Funches isn't nearly as big of a deal as it would have been because there are serviceable players that could step in and do a hell of a job. Deion Kane, two catches, 35 yards, on two targets, week one. Paris Campbell, one run, one, one catch, one target, effective with the football in their hands. So those are the two guys that I look at and say, hey, Deion, hey, Paris. Now it's time. And I also think it just matches up better for the Colts in this game, uh, given that, again, like we said, they won't see a quality of defense like San Diego. And I get it that the Titans are supposed to be like one of the best defenses in the NFL. Sure, man. I think that the Colts are in a good position with Jack Doyle healthy, with that offensive line healthy to keep Jacoby Brissett clean. And I think that just like we've done for the last decade, right? The Colts are something like 17 and three uh, against the Titans. I expect the Colts. Yeah, to, in the past to, 20 times they've played. Yeah, I think I think I think that if there were a season in which the Titans could be better than the Colts, this could be the season. I just don't believe it is. I actually think like the Colts are built to play and compete in every football game and have the tools to just outright win those games. 
And those are specifically pass rushers and skill players at this point because you don't have uh, a world-class quarterback. Although I think the world of Jacoby Brissett, by the way, top 10 in the NFL in both QBR and quarterback rating, those are two different things. The rating, the quarterback rating and QBR are two different numbers. Um, And yeah, there's all all the reason in the world to just just kind of, you know, hey, let's enjoy the 2019 season the the franchise looks healthy it looks like they're they're built for the future built to compete now uh as well which is which is a the exact way you want to see your franchise run remember if you look at successful franchises over the last 20 plus years you look at the colts patriots steelers maybe saints and continuity is key consistency is key the, the the most important things are the are your players healthy which of course you hope to be able to do right you hear yeah I mean? you try to yeah sorry i didn't want to interrupt no go ahead yeah no the, the uh you're right it's it's in terms of of healthy and and being there like you had said before the interesting thing about this matchup with the titans has to do a lot with the offensive line of the Titans and actually the offensive line of the Colts too. Um, with without Taylor Lewan or Lewin, um, however he's pronounced it, pronounces it, the Colts have such a a different pass rush than what they had last year, and Tennessee's going to be ha- have a really tough time protecting Marcus Mariota. So I think they're going to get they're going to get bludgeoned mm-hmm. on that. And as we I know we brought this up before, but at the end of last season, I don't think the Colts had allowed a hundred yard rusher at all last year. No. They didn't allow one in week one either, even though Austin Eckler had a ton of yards, most of them were on short passes. Yeah. Um, and so you're probably going to look at Tennessee to try to take advantage of that as well to get, get their running backs out in space. And it's something that we had brought up um, when we recorded this before. Um, but the, one of the big takeaways that I had from week one what in the lack of tackling by the Colts uh, in my mind that has a lot to do with with preseason and the offense you don't really necessarily need preseason for the offenses but I think for the defenses you do because you have to work on your tackling you have to perfect your tackling and there's only a limited amount of times and opportunities that you can do that against your own team and so it makes those preseason games a little bit more meaningful in my opinion for the defense than what it would be for the offense because as you saw against the Chargers, the Colts didn't tackle well and it allowed them to to make these big plays. The, the Colts were going for the strips rather than like tackling, wrapping up and then trying to strip the ball. Um, and Darius I think that, Leonard. Yeah. Well, Darius Leonard, Pierre Desir, like the whole whole list of them tried it, but mainly Leonard on the Eckler's big touchdown run. Yep. Um, and I think you're going to see a better Colts defense this week. Uh, yeah. against the the Titans because they've had a week to work on their tackling, to actually tackle at full speed, to get in there and really get some work in and get some film so they can address it and, and take care of it. The other um, thing that I think is, is important is Tennessee probably has the best defense in the AFC South. And so I'd be interested to see how the Colts line holds up against the Tennessee because they, they run a 3-4 and so they rush from all over. And they've got some pretty solid players there um, to be able to rush, like you had mentioned before. It was Cameron Wake, um, and Logan Ryan, there. 
and Logan Ryan on the backside at that corner position. And then you've got Finch. I don't sure. Um, you can just be naming names right now. And I don't even know. Um, no, I'm looking like at that. Harold, looking Landry. At the stats. <laughs> Harold Landry on the edge. He's a, he's a great speed rusher. Um, you know, I thought that maybe that was a bad fit for him because they run a three, four and, and he's a, definitely a four, three end, but that he's still got some pass rushing moves. And so that would be my, my main focus for this next week is to look at the Colts offensive line, how well they hold up against the pass rush. And I think that you're going to have the Colts try to do exactly what they did to the second half of, of the Chargers game in that they will try to just run it down their throat and force their will and try to make it. So the Titans have to try to play catch up and they're going to get limited number of opportunities with the ball. And as you, when we ran down the, the Titans, they, they're not able to make sustained drives. Right. And they, they had one sustained drive that was over seven plays. And that's it. And so, you know, I think the Colts had two or three of them before, but the Colts at least would get a first down. Like half the time, the, the Titans didn't even get a first down uh, against Cleveland. And Cleveland's got a great defense. Don't get they me do. wrong. They do. Um, but they also make a lot of mistakes uh, there because, again, they're not disciplined. I, I thought Miles Garrett should have probably gotten tossed from that game for punching uh, – he, he threw a punch and hit a guy in the face in the end zone with the referee right there. And the referee tossed his hat up in the air. I thought that was going to be an ejection yeah. and it wasn't, which was kind of shocking, but regardless, you've got the Titans that then are going to be coming in on a huge high. Cause they, they're going to look at the score, the final score and say, Oh, we beat them by a crazy number of points. And Titans fans are like, yeah, Titans mania. Woo. Yeah. Um, and they're going to come in and think that they're like these world beaters because they beat Cleveland an undisciplined Cleveland team that has significant offensive line issues. Yep. And they're going to come in to this Colts game thinking, Oh, the Colts just lost in overtime. You know, they got, they got beat by the chargers and, and we can take them because we beat Cleveland. Cleveland's better than seen uh, better in Los Angeles. And I think they're going to be in for a big surprise. I think that the Colts are going to win this game and they're going to, they're going to win it by a significant margin. Yeah, it's one of the, the dynamic things about the NFL is how much it changes week to week. And for those of you wondering, because I'm, I'm a wanderer, too, when, when somebody's talking and I'm listening to them, I'm going to look, look up and say, how does the data match up with what you're saying? For the record, in the Colts-Chargers game, which I thought was a very competitive football game that went to overtime and was compelling and interesting, and other than some bad calls – some big plays given up by our defense. I thought it was a really well-orchestrated football game on both sides. So kudos to the Chargers. Best of luck to them. There were five total punts in that football game. In the Titans-Browns game, there were 11 punts. Tennessee punted six times and had four offensive touchdowns. So they scored on 40%. They were 6 six for 11. 6 for 11 on drives in terms of scoring. Uh, and they got some help on defense. They had three interceptions. Uh, they had an interception return for touchdown, I believe. Yeah, they had a defensive touchdown, right? 
Yeah, Malcolm yeah, Butler had yeah, an interception the, return. Yeah, Malcolm Butler, the last touchdown that they got was an interception return for a touchdown. So think about that in terms of, like, your expectations. So uh, we were going to have Titans fans listening uh, to our podcast. Hey, I'm not saying, like, the Titans are awful. I hate the Titans. Screw the Titans. None of those things. I'm just hoping that if you're a Titans fan and you listen to this podcast, temper your expectations just a touch. Cleveland imploded on your Titans week one, and that's why the score looks the way it does. And I don't think the Colts are the kind of team to implode. Uh, I hope that nobody gets injured and that it's a clean game, Uh, although the Colts and Titans have gotten kind of testy with each other as of late. But then again, it's just like we said, if I was 17 and three in the last decade against you, I'd be pretty mad at you, too. Um, I mean, it's like your little brother getting testy with you. Like you're just yeah. holding your arm out and they're like swinging. They're not able to touch you. Oh, that's, that's what that's it's kind of funny like. of an analogy. It's um, kind of spot on. though. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's do this uh, before we go today. I think it's pretty clear. We think the Colts can and should win this football game. Right. Yeah, I do. And that would put the Colts uh, after two weeks in first place in the AFC South. So then let me follow it up with this question, because it also applies, and we'll have other division fans and other NFL fans listen to our podcast. How do you uh, foresee the Jacksonville-Houston week game going this week? I think that's probably going to be a Houston win, mm-hmm. to be honest, because it's at Houston. Jacksonville now is without Nick Foles. Gunner Minshew. Gardner. Gardner. Gardner Gardner Minshew. Yeah. I mean, he's a... He could surprise people, but again, I, I don't have a lot of faith in it. Um, the one not, thing that not could, against JJ Watt. Well, the one thing that could make a difference in this is if Jacksonville gets defensive touchdowns, right? Um, because if they can score on defense um, and get some strip sacks, because um, again, they've got a they've got a solid defensive team. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they can make put some pressure on Watson, he puts the ball up, which he's tend to want to do at times and they get some defensive touch they get a defensive touchdown or two jacksonville could pull it off i think probably you're looking at a houston win in this um simply because it's at houston and they're a more talented team um but the jaguars certainly have a strong defense so and it also depends on if miles jack gets suspended i think that probably would have already come out by now but miles jack got suspended or got ejected from the game for punching a dude in the face which is what, like, why do you punch a guy in the helmet with your bare hand? Yeah, like, those, those rib shots on the bottom of the pile are far more effective. Yeah, they're way more effective to get little <laughs> little jabs in there, like get the body little, shots. Little versus, eye gouge. Yeah, like don't don't go and punch a guy in the helmet. Like that's gonna hurt oh. your hand. Like you're liable to break your hand. Get, like, get in the bottom of the dumb. pile like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, get get in there and get dirty with the guys uh, in the pile. That sounds weird, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think that you I'm probably leaning towards Houston in this game. But if Jacksonville can score a couple defensive touchdowns, um, it could be could be completely different. Absolutely. So, hey, this has been Jared and Steven with Stampede Blue. This is Afternoon Pancakes, and that'll be all for us today. Uh, And we'll see you all. Episode 11B. Episode 11, bravo. Uh, And we'll see you guys next week. Uh, Go Colts.